Good morning. So we'll be in Ephesians chapter 4, if you want to open up your Bibles to Ephesians. Um, So it's been a while since I've preached, um, almost two years now, I think, uh, July of 2019. So a lot lot has happened since then, um, obviously. So as I was um, looking for a text to preach on, um, I chose today's text based on a lot of things I'm seeing broadly in Christianity, especially over the last few months. Um, John just finished a series on persecution. Um, and then he's been a part of some uh, pastoral panel discussions that um, having that he's talked about, and they're interesting to say the least. Um, they're not super encouraging. Um, unity within the body of Christ um, is super important today. Um, it's as important as it was in the first century. But from my observations, we're nearing a breaking point almost at, in this country where Christians are to the point where we're not significantly persecuted, but we can see the trend and the projection is that we're going to face that persecution in the near future. Um, So the passage this morning is specifically around the unity of the body of Christ. Um, So let's pray this morning and then we will read our passage for the morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, for your truth. I thank you that you have given us your word, your precious word that instructs us on how to live a life that's focused on the gospel. Father, I thank you for this church, a church that is focused on your word. We're not distracted by all the other things going on. Father, I pray that as as I speak this morning and as I proclaim your word, that um, your Holy Spirit will be with me as I speak, that I will speak words that are true, and that we'll, we'll be able to take these truths and apply them to our lives as we go out from this place this week. I pray these things in your Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 1. I, therefore... A prisoner of the Lord urged you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to one hope that belongs to your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave grace and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what it, what it does not mean, but what he also, but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. 
And he gave apostles, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of all the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working together, makes the body grow that it builds itself up in love. This is a long passage, and there is a whole lot in this passage. So um, right from the outset, we are not going to dig super, super in-depth I'm not preaching through the entire book of Ephesians. If I was, this is probably, I don't know, 10, 15 messages worth of stuff. Um, but I want to make sure that we cover kind of broadly the theme of unity that we see in this, in this section. Um, chapter 4 marks the transition in the book of Ephesians. Um, chapters 1 through 3 are really doctrine. It's, it's the gospel laid out by the Apostle Paul. Um, he really lays out like what the gospel means. Um, Kevin Young, who um, the Bible I'm actually preaching at, he wrote the the study notes for this section. Um, he mentions in the introduction to my specific Bible here that Ephesians is maybe the most gospel saturated book in the entire New Testament. The first three chapters, Paul lays out what the gospel is, and then right here in Ephesians four. He transitions from the gospel, from a doctrinal standpoint, to an applicational standpoint. So he's going to really lay out what living out the gospel looks like for us as Christians. The opening words of this section are interesting in that Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus from a Roman prison. As we start this section of scripture, it's important to remember that what ultimately matters to us in his words, he refers to himself as a prisoner of the Lord, not a prisoner of Rome. Paul, roughly 20 to 25 years ago, or previous to the writing of this scripture, kind of as a background, um, he was a Pharisee. Um, he would have been praised by the government that's now imprisoning him for the things that um, he was doing at that time. Uh, the Lord had different plans for Saul, though. As we know, um, he was converted and became the Apostle Paul. He lost all of his worldly power, all of his worldly reputation, but Paul's words in his life reveal to us that he views himself not as a prisoner of someone else, but a, as a prisoner of the Lord. The Christian walk can be costly. It may cost you sitting in an earthly prison for Christ's sake, as it has for uh, some, of, some Canadian pastors recently. Um, what Paul tells us in the upcoming 15 verses should be an encouragement to us, no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in. Paul here from prison is imploring the church to walk 
in a manner worthy of their calling. The idea of walk is common throughout the New Testament, and it relates to our daily, con- our daily conduct. Our daily conduct should be, as he lays out here, marked by humility, gentleness, patience, and showing grace to one another. I wonder how many of us, our daily conduct is marked by those things. Are we patient with our kids? Do they fight and do we get impatient with them? I have six kids, as you all know, and they like to fight and I lose my patience sometimes. Is it marked by humility? Is it marked by gentleness? Paul, for the remainder of this letter, will build on these characteristics. Remember that he is going to discuss in chapter 5, husbands and wives. Chapter 6, he talks about children and parents. And then bond servants and slaves. I don't want to miss something in verse 1, though, that we need to keep at the forefront as we look at this text or any text realistically in the New Testament. There's a double emphasis here on in this verse, on, in verse 1, on calling. As Christians, we are called to salvation. Salvation is not something that we do. It's something that God does. Salvation is a one-way transaction. We don't deserve it, and we have nothing to offer in the, transition, in the transaction, as Pastor John often says. We offer sin. We offer rebellion. We offer our filthy rags, and the Lord takes those rags and puts, on his, per, puts his perfect robes on us and gives us life. He gives us the Holy Spirit to help us. He gives us gifts that we are to share with the body of Christ, our family, and so much more. Verse 3 is where I want to pick up next. Um, I want to read it verse 3 through verse 6 as our next section. Um, It talks about how we are the same. We're eager to maintain the body or maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you are called to one hope that belongs to your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We are all saved by the same Lord through the same faith in the same gospel and indwelt by the same Holy Spirit. Every single one of us in this room. Every single believer, whether it be in China, whether it be in Canada where they're facing persecution, we are all saved by the exact same gospel. One gospel. The early church was not so different as we are today. Paul is writing to the Ephesians, imploring them to be unified about around the one God and one spirit and be in, of one body. This Paul, or Paul, is saying that this is the gospel lived out. He lays out the gospel, chapters 1 through 3, and says, Therefore, I implore you to live in this way. We often give application at the end of our message. Um, here at Crossview, Pastor John usually gives you a couple of uh, points of application. Ephesians 4 through 6 is Paul's points of application. He teaches the gospel, 
and then lays out for the Ephesians, here's what this means in practical, real life. Um, He's giving us our application here. Um, The early church struggled with divisions. Um, 1 Corinthians uh, 1, verses 11 through 13. I'll read it real quick. For it has been reported to you... For sorry, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Caiaphas, or I follow Christ. I like the Christ. Like if, if you grew up in church or you were in Sunday school, what was the what was the correct Sunday school answer to everything? Jesus, the, the I follow Christ is like it's like the Sunday school answer when I think of it when I look at that. Um, but the early church struggled with struggled with division, lest we think we've grown at all in unity in the last two thousand years. We have some who would say I follow John MacArthur, or maybe I follow R.C. Sproul or Paul Washer, or insert your favorite teacher of the Bible here, like. Could be anyone. But let us not forget that R.C. Sproul isn't a Baptist. He's a Presbyterian. John Calvin, not a Baptist. Um, John Owen, whom we named one of our children after, also not a Baptist. Um, the, who started the entire Reformation? A monk who married a nun named Martin Luther. And what was Martin Luther? The founder of Lutheranism. So we we think that we have unity, but oftentimes that even in the early church, they didn't have unity, but we struggle with a lot of the same things today. Um, but if our Lutheran brothers and sisters, even though they practice a liturgy that we don't practice here, even though they baptize infants that we don't baptize here, if they believe in the true gospel and are indwelt with that same Holy Spirit, we have to have unity with them. We have to find ways to be unified with them. There is no super Christians. John MacArthur is positionally the same as you and I. The homeless man who trusts in Christ is the same as someone who stands in this pulpit, as John MacArthur who preaches, as R.C. Sproul who has taught millions of people around the world. One body and one spirit means there is one church, capital C. And it's led by Christ, who offers every believer the same Holy Spirit. We have one Lord, Jesus Christ. We can know Christ through our one faith, which is founded on one thing. Holy Scripture, his word. One baptism as an outward sign of the change that has already occurred inside. Unity isn't something that's always easy. It isn't something that always comes natural to us. It isn't something that, it's something that we oftentimes push away from, especially if it costs us something. As kind of an example um, of something that's happening right now that I see on Facebook um, and in the news and all over the place is what's happening in Canada. Typically, Europe and Canada, they kind of lead the way of where we're going to be in the United States a few years from now. 
the liberalization of the church started in Europe. It's happening in Canada. We're, we're right behind them. Um, this past week, um, another pastor was arrested in Canada. Uh, this time his name was Tim Stevens. He's the pastor of Fairview Baptist Church. Um, and he was arrested for gathering um, together as a body, um, his church, and disobeying the government's orders, which forbids the assembly. Um, I've seen Christians saying awful things on Facebook, um, hurling insults at the church and calling his church radical. But before we go down this road um, and call this an extremist church uh, just looking to kind of disobey the civil authorities, um, I want us to look a little bit at this church um, because I think it will be instructive for us. This is a congregation full of brothers and sisters in Christ with whom we must have unity under our one head, Jesus Christ. This pastor, unlike some of the previous ones that I've seen videos of, he wasn't shouting when he was arrested. He wasn't screaming things at the police. Instead, this pastor was arrested outside of his church in front of his congregation. There's pictures of him um, hugging his kids, praying with his congregation um, prior to his arrest and being taken. A councilman from the city of Calgary called it satisfying to arrest these pastors who broke the order. That is the type of response that I would expect from the world. They think these men are extremists, men who are doing harm to their community. Pastor John, a few weeks ago, uh, mentioned that we're going to face persecution, and it's not going to be the same type of persecution that we may have seen in the past. We're going to be accused of hating other people, right? That's what this pastor is being accused of, of hating the community of Calgary because he's gathering together with his church. A few further details about this church um, that I want to consider before to make sure that we are clear on what this church is and whether it is a radical church because the, the world is viewing it as a radical church. Their website looked up a few things about them. They list as their distinctives, gospel-focused, the doctrines of grace, expository preaching, and evangelicalism. Not a whole lot different than us. They have links on their website to sermons by Paul Washer, R.C. Sproul, John MacArthur, and Steve Lawson. It's, the same, it's, it's similar to what we would include. They list organizations like Nine Marks, Reformed Baptist Seminary as resources to look at. Reformed Baptist Seminary has on faculty Mark Ward, who's preached at this church, and James White, who most of you are familiar with. This isn't a radical church. This church has more in alignment doctrinally than probably any church in our community. The reason this story fits and that I bring it up here is that the responses I've seen from many Christians, the backlash that I'm seeing from those who call themselves faithful believers in Christ, this could be our church. This could be our future. Maybe it won't be under a pandemic, but this church is facing persecution, and we're the same. This is our church in Calgary. It's the same type of believer. Pastor Stevens um, listened to a couple of pieces from multiple sermons. He's preaching through the 
um, book of Luke, if you guys are interested. Um, he has a 11 minute video that I'll try to post in our Facebook group at, at the end of the service on why they have gathered together. And it's excellent. It's 11 minutes, but it lays out why he's chosen to gather his church together. Um, I don't know all the details, obviously. I, all I've read is from what I can read from their website and what I've seen in the news. But this church isn't doing anything that we wouldn't do. Um, it's illegal for them to gather. But every morning, I don't know how many people there are here this morning. There's probably 50 plus. It would be illegal for us to be gathered together in Calgary, Canada today. If we were gathered together and I walked out and I was leaving this church... I could be arrested on my way out for doing exactly what it is that we're doing right now. Believers all around the world are facing persecution, whether it be Calgary, Canada, whether it be in North Korea, whether it be people in Orville, Ohio. We are all one body under one head. Unity is based on a shared gospel that has theological roots. All that, despite our differences, we have different talents, we have disagreements on secondary issues, whether it be around baptism. Um, those disagreements are secondary to the gospel. The gospel is what is primary. Unity is not always easy. We, walk, we are to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, in humility, with regard to how we treat others. In gentleness, we're to walk in with patience. We're to bear with each other. Even if we are different, we're to be eager to keep the unity of the Spirit. Oftentimes, eager is probably not the way I would describe how most of us seek to um, be in unity with one another. Since the foundation of the church Unity is something that we have had to work in. Today is no different. We have a lot more diverse ways and styles of worship than they may have had in the first century. But God has not changed. The gospel has not changed. Jesus is still the head of the church. If we believe in the one God and are part of the one body, whose head is Jesus Christ, who is once and all delivered for the saints. We must put our hope, our one hope, in the one Lord. We must be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. As we look at verses 7 through 14, we talked a lot about how we're the same in verses 3 to 6. Now, we're not going to dig super in-depth on some of the stuff in verses 7 to 14, and we are going to talk about um, some of the different roles within the church, but I want, also want us to keep in mind as we think about unity and how, um, how we're different, that throughout Scripture, there's other places that list other gifts. So I want us to keep those gifts in mind, um, whether it be gifts of service, gifts of discernment, um, because those are all differences that um, we all have. Not everyone is going to have the same gifting. But let me read verses 7 through 14. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. 
In saying he ascended, what it does what it does what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descends is the one who also ascended far above all of the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the work the, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes there are a lot of things that we can cover in this section um, but we're, like I said, we're going to go through it at kind of a high level and point out a couple of highlights. Um, Romans 12 is, uh, lists a lot of the different gifts, lists gifts such as serving, um, teaching. So I want us to, like I said, remember these things as we are um, talking about our differences. The Lord ordained different roles within the church, not us. He's the one who gives us our gifts, not us. R.C. Sproul, John MacArthur, they are better preachers than myself. I'm not jealous, nor should I be. God has given those gifts to those men for a specific reason. Um, the Lord ordained the, ordained the roles and gave gifts. Um, verses 7 and 8 says, he gave gifts to men. It is the Lord that grants those gifts, not us. We deserve only wrath. We should therefore not be jealous of the gifts that are given to others. And we should not be um, trying to seek glory for the gifts that we have. Um, they are gifts given by God. We don't deserve the gifts that we have been given, and we do not know God's plan and how he plans to use the gifts given to others for the building up of the body. Here specifically it says, it's, it lists a lot of um, teachers in verse 11. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as shepherds and teachers. But what did he give them for? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. He gave teachers to equip others to do that work. It's important to note that the teachers aren't the ones who are doing all of the work of the ministry. Um, we're to teach, we're to train, um, and teach others. And others are doing the work of the ministry as well. I also want to talk briefly about um, probably the most challenging interpretation and or most challenging verses to interpret or kind of understand in this section um, and that's the ascending and descending um, the he who ascended also descended it says this verse is um, often debated you read multiple commentaries it's going to give you different understandings um, from kind of what I've read and from what I from what I've seen um, these verses are, kind of gives us the basis for Christ's authority to grant gifts. Um, when I look at the entire book of Ephesians, Christ's ascension refers to his incarnation. He's descended from heaven to earth out of love for us. 
He pays the penalty for our sin, but then he also ascends and sits at the right hand of God the Father and has authority to grant us the gifts that he determines that we need for the body of Christ. So the ascension refers to his descension or his incarnation, and the ascension is his ascension up to heaven where he sits now. Paul lists five specific gifts or five specific roles within the church here. Um, there are far more lists uh, within the New Testament of different gifts that are given to others. I don't want to dig too much into details on the specifics of the different roles. Um, we don't have time. You don't want to be here till 12 o'clock today um, to, for me to go super in-depth. Um, but just understand that these gifts are given to the body of Christ to build up the saints so that they can fulfill the work of the ministry. Not all are given as shepherds or teachers. All roles and all gifts work together to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. No one is given all of the gifts necessary for the church, locally or globally. God, in his wisdom, spread the gifts needed for the church among multiple members. By doing so, he forced us to understand that we are not the head of the church. We are not the giver of all gifts within the body. When the body is made up of different members working together, we are no longer going to be carried off into various doctrines. Some are given the gifts of discernment. It's good to be discerning of the things that are proclaimed from the pulpit. When members are not within a body who can discern and understand, you have teachers who kind of go off the rails and start preaching all kinds of crazy things. Um, one of the craziest prosperity gospel preachers um, that's out there right now um, went to Southern Seminary, a conservative theologically sound seminary, but there's no one around to discern and hold him accountable. Stephen Furtick is his name. Um, he's a graduate of Southern Seminary, though, um, which is where I went to seminary. Albert Moeller was the president of uh, Southern at the time. Um, so we need those different gifts um, within the church. Believers in Canada today and throughout the ages have faced persecution but we can learn from what learn from them um, as they are faithful in holding to unity within their body, um, and as we are able to be faithful in being unified with them, um, even when they they're different from us. Um, whether it be a Presbyterian church that comes alongside and is unified with Fairview Baptist Church, or a Lutheran church that holds to the gospel um, and holds fast to that gospel and is in unity with um, a church like that. When we pay attention and look beyond the news stories and look to stand in unity with other churches despite our differences, we model for the world what love looks like. An encouraging word, a letter from a fellow believer who is praying for that church or any other, one, any other believer who is facing persecution can be a, a tremendous encouragement. We have different gifts. I am not an encourager. 
I'm not, that's not one of my spiritual gifts. My kids will probably tell you that. My wife will probably tell you that. That's not one of my spiritual gifts. Um, but people are gifted to be encouragers. We have different gifts. We have different roles. And they may change from season to season. But each gift has a role to play in the body of Christ. Our problem as sinful people is we often want to lean toward division rather than unity. We often want to lean toward those gifts that may be seen as more important. As an example of this, um, I can think of a trip that um, I took. It was a number of years ago to Nicaragua. Um, I was able to go, um, and I had gifts that I was going to be able to use on this particular trip based on the things that we were planning on doing. Um, I was able to encourage believers. We did pastoral teaching. Um, we did we proclaimed the gospel, um, but at, with a larger family. Um, I worked at Lifeway at the time, so Lifeway doesn't pay a fortune. So I didn't have the means to go um, on this trip. Um, another believer um, in the congregation that we were in was a little bit older and couldn't make the trip anymore. Um, from what I was told, they had previously been to Nicaragua, had a heart for the people there, um, but they were no longer physically able to go, um, but wanted to be a part of the work that was going on there. They had been given the means and the heart to reach the lost and equip leaders um, in Nicaragua. Um, so they came alongside and anonymously, I, ha I have no idea who this person was. Um, they anonymously gave the money to support me going to Nicaragua. On that trip, I preached for the very first time through an interpreter, which is very challenging, by the way. <laughs> you essentially speak two sentences and then stop. Speak two sentences and then stop and let it be translated. Um, but for the first time, I preached in Nicaragua. Uh, we provided pastoral training and theological education for more than a dozen local pastors. We proclaimed the gospel to youth and to families through various activities that, we, that went on in multiple communities in the area that we were in. Um, we were able to, get, to encourage and provide resources that I was able to obtain through Lifeway um, to a ministry leader there who had a ministry that covered multiple countries in that region. Colombia, Nicaragua, Honduras, Costa Rica. So multiple countries were able to benefit from the resources that we were able to bring down that I was able to get through Lifeway because he traveled to multiple countries as part of his ministry. We had been given different gifts. Um, both the person who kind of paid my way to get me to Nicaragua um, had been given the gift of it was an encouragement to me. I wanted to go on this trip, um, but there was no way I was going to do it on my own. Um, but we are given different gifts. But in unity, when we come together and use our unique and different gifts, it builds up the body of Christ, both locally, and in that case, it built up the body of Christ in another country, multiple other countries as I provided these resources. We can't let our differences get in the way of building up the body of Christ. Differences should not divide us. When we live out the gospel, it means that we must bear with one another because we are not the head of the church. 
Christ is. Christ has gifted others in different ways that may be challenging for us at times. But Christ is ultimately the head of the church. Verses 15 and 16 as we wrap up here. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so it builds itself up in love as we wrap up i want to make um, a couple of final observations from this section but um, we'll make a couple of applications as well but i also want to tie kind of these verses in a little bit more with the book of ephesians kind of broadly um kind of in a standalone sermon as i said there's a lot that we miss in the first half of the book of ephesians that i just can't we can't get to everything um the book of ephesians um is rich in gospel theology um i don't want us to miss kind of the build up to the point that we the point where we got to where we just kind of jumped in here um this final section is kind of bookended by uh, two words, in love. We are to speak the truth, speak God's word in love, and then we are to be built, and then it says the body, the body grows so that it is built up, builds itself up in love. In um, love is a theme that you also see kind of throughout the book of Ephesians. Um, we are to speak the truth in love, and as we work together as a body, we are built up in love. Paul starts the letter of Ephesians by telling the Ephesians that in love, God predestined us for adoption. His love is what predestined us and is what is um, kind of the forefront of our calling as, as believers. God's word spoken here through the Apostle Paul masterfully lays out the groundwork for how this unity comes about. Paul, so far, has made the case that we are all the same. As we have the same spirit, we're also different in that we have been given different gifts and different roles within the body. Though the gifts that he gives are different, we have the same head. We're the, we are um, we're the same church. Sorry, um, though the gifts he gave the church in the speaking of his word in love, we through the through the gifts he gave the church in the speaking of his word, we grow up in love to be more like him because he is the head of the church. Christ's love for us is the foundation of our faith. Verse one or verse chapter one verse five. In love he predestined us and gave it predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Chapter two verse four. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. Our unity to to Christ is the ground is grounded in his love for us. 
If we are united with Christ, we must also be united with one another because Christ loves others just as much as he loves us. When we experience that love, we will bear with one another. We will speak the truth in love, as it says in verse 15, and as a result, we will be built up together in love. Verse 16. This unity, the unity that we're supposed to have with the body of Christ, is accomplished by bearing with one another in love, speaking the truth in love, and being built up together in love. Understanding and believing the gospel therefore means that we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, which involves unity despite our differences, despite the different gifts and roles that we're given. And when we do this, chapter 5 says that we, would be, we will be imitators of God as beloved children, and we will walk in love. This walk in love is built on the unity that we have together as a body of Christ. Paul, through the entire book of Ephesians, is building continuously as he goes along. He gives the foundation, the gospel. We're supposed to be united as a body of Christ. When we're united as a body of Christ, we will then walk in love. And then he goes on to explain um, in further detail what that walking in love looks like in various relationships as he finishes chapter 5. And as he finishes chapter 6, our source and the foundation of this love is Christ. We understand that we are all the same and that we are all brothers and sisters under the same headship under Christ. We must also understand that we are different and that difference, those differences is what makes us grow. Without pastors and shepherds to lead us, we would be led off into all kinds of various different things. Without the gifts of discernment, we may be led off into social justice gospels, as so many denominations have been. Um, we may be led off into kind of a Christian patriotism, the God and country type gospel. Um, I saw a um, Bible on Facebook just the other day that was the God and country Bible. Um, that I, I don't know what was in it, um, but um, it's replacing the true gospel with something that's false. Um, we must remain united around what is true, and that is the one who has always been, loves us, and cho chose us. We must embrace our differences as Christ lovingly gave us separate gifts as a means of building up the body for which he alone is the head the foundation of our loving unity is clear it starts with a relationship with christ he chose us not because we're great people not that we have a predisposition for being good people or helping others out um, or that we might get along with others it is for by grace that we have been saved through faith it is not our own doing it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Um, a couple of points of application here as we finish up. So three, three total points. Unity is not 
always eager. Or it's not always e- easy, but we must be eager to maintain it. Unity is not always easy, but we must, we must be eager to maintain it. From the early church until today, it's been a struggle. People lean away from unity because it's easier. They want to be with people who agree with them on every point. Um, it's easier, but we must lean in to unity. We must maintain our unity as a church. As a church globally, not just locally. Number two, differences make us stronger, not weaker. Differences make us stronger, not weaker. The Puritans are very different than you and I. We can learn from our Puritan brothers and sisters who came before us, just like we can learn from our brothers and sisters in Christ who may come from a different denomination, whether they be Presbyterians, whether they be um, Lutherans. Um, They have stuff to teach us that can help us, just as we have things that we can teach them um, to help them grow stronger. Finally, number three, if we believe the gospel, Ephesians chapter 1 through 3, we must live out that gospel by walking in unity and walking in love. Paul doesn't give us the option here. If we believe the gospel, this is part of the fruit of that gospel. Walking out in unity with our brothers and sisters and walking in love. As we, as we close, the gospel is precious to us. If we believe in that gospel, even despite the challenges, despite our disagreements with others, If our brothers and sisters that are different than us believe in that same gospel, we have to find ways to live in unity with them. We have to come alongside them, even when they may be facing persecution. We have to come alongside them in unity and walk alongside them, even if it's going to cost us. Because it might. If a church in our community who is gospel-focused comes under persecution... We need to come and walk alongside them in unity, even if that may cost us persecution. It's hard, but that's, that's the gospel lived out. That's the practical application of living out this gospel. Let's pray as we close. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the examples that we have in Scripture of Christians who come alongside their fellow believers when they face persecution. Father, I pray that we would be believers that despite the challenges, despite our differences, despite all the things that, may, um, that we may be facing, that may be holding us back from being unified with our brothers and sisters in Christ, Father, I pray that you would help overcome those. 
Father, we have differences in doctrine. We have different roles within the church. We've been gifted in different ways. But Father, you gave Jesus Christ as the head of the church. Let us unite around that. Let us unite around the gospel and go forth this week being an encouragement to those who face persecution, those who are going through things that we may not understand, Father, but we can come alongside those believers in unity and walk with them in love. We pray all these things in your Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen.